simply says this. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. There it is. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. The simple fact of life is that much wisdom comes through listening to counsel and accepting it. And this happens on a natural level as we go about our lives. It also happens on a theological level as we, as we think about God. In fact, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to take this proverb, kind of work at it, first of all, on just the, the natural level. And then secondly, I want to think about how it relates to the supernatural level or how, how it relates to God. If you want to title anything in my message here, I just call it Listen. Listen. My, my outline here, first point, listen to others. Listen to others. Now, you know, listening to advice and listening to instruction is a basic element of growing up in this world. Particularly, you think of children. If you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll be struck by how many times Solomon says, My son, listen to me. My son, listen to me. Proverbs 1.8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Proverbs 3.1, Hear, my son, do not forget my teaching. Proverbs 4, 1, hear, O sons, the Father's instruction. Just saying, listen, children, listen to me. That's what this proverb is talking about. Listen to advice and accept instruction. Children, as they grow in wisdom, need to hear the counsel of their parents. When they're very little, they need to listen to their parents and not run into the streets. Lest a car hit them and they become severely injured. When they're little, they need to listen to their parents and not touch that hot burner lest they have a, a hand that hurts. As they, they get a little bit older, and Phil's going to talk about this in the next one, they, they need to avoid the wrong crowd. Stay away from the wrong crowd. When you go to school, be out there. Be discerning of who they are. Stay away from the wrong crowd, lest you learn their habits and you get into trouble yourselves. And, and as, as children grow up, they need to listen to their teachers in school and, and learn what they have for us. And, and, and as they even grow beyond that, they need to listen to their boss lest you find yourself unemployed. And you need to listen to the policeman lest you find yourself in jail. Now, now those are just big things, but, but this whole thing about listening to advice and accepting instruction uh, extends to little things as well, like listen to the mechanics who say, change your oil every 3,000 miles. Or listen to the bill that comes in the mail so that your water isn't turned off when you're taking a shower. Listen to the weatherman lest you find yourself out in the cold and the rain unprepared. Right? But, but listening to advice and accepting instruction isn't, isn't merely just listening so that bad things don't happen to you. It's also listen and learn for the, the good and positive effects as well. For instance, if you, your vacuum cleaner breaks, you can take it to the vacuum cleaner repair shop, or you can do what I do when our vacuum cleaner broke. I asked Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Google, and he showed me how to fix that. Made a simple call and I fixed it. And what I do, I, I learned a thing or two about vacuums and I, I saved a few bucks. Not taking it to uh, uh, someone who um, would charge me a lot. Or I suppose, for instance, that my ice cube maker isn't working. Which happened, my ice cube maker wasn't working. So I asked Mr. Google and fixed my ice, cream make, my ice cube maker. My dryer wasn't generating heat. 
my reverse osmosis system lost its capacity. I just asked Google, gained wisdom, saved money, did it myself. And that's, that's just logical about life. When, when there's, there's something you need to do, just find someone who knows a little bit more about things than you do and search down their advice and accepting instruction. And you can do anything on the Internet, from installing an invisible dog fence to solving the Rubik's Cube to, to figuring out which is the best washer and dryer to purchase. Ask Google. But, but what's true of Google is true of many of us as well. I mean, Google doesn't have all the answers, but you know, if you're, you want to learn about illnesses, talk to Brian. Brian Mulder, who's not here anymore. If you want to learn about investments, talk to Phil. If you want to learn about home repairs, talk to Peter, who's not here either. Well, trace him down and find him. Okay, here. If you want to learn a little bit about homeschooling, there's lots of mothers here who know about homeschooling. So you can, you can find people who know a little bit more than you do, search them out, ask them and learn from them, receive their instruction, and you will gain wisdom in the future. It's a very positive thing. It, it will, it, wisdom will keep you from the bad. Wisdom will help you do what's good. I mean, it's a little bit like yesterday. We, um, my, my 30th high school reunion was this weekend. And um, so yesterday morning... I got to play golf for the first time in a couple years because none of you have really come and asked me, say, hey, Steve, you want to play golf? I'd be glad to play golf with any of you, but it's kind of hard to go alone. And uh, so I, I went and played golf for the first time in a couple years. We played a scramble. So a shotgun start, we played a scramble, and uh, that means that we all hit four balls, and then we play the best one. And uh, when you're on the putting green particularly is helpful, is, is when, when the putt goes, if you're the first one, everyone else is behind, like, like watching the line of the ball. Is it going to swerve left or is it going to swerve right? Or what kind of speed is it downhill? How, how's it going? And we're all watching and we're all learning from the, from the contour of the green and watching the golf ball. You would be a fool to play a scramble and say, okay, you putt, I, I, I don't want to watch. It's like, what do you mean? Accept the instruction of how the, the golf ball goes. And all of us were there, so listen to the wisdom of the, the golf ball. Only a fool wouldn't watch to see how a, a ball is breaking. Now, so when it comes to life, this is how life works, because we don't know everything about everything. We need the expertise of others. In fact, when we come down to it, you are the expert of only a few things. You may know more than others to be a resource to them, but there are many, many things that you don't know more than other people. And a wise way of living is to simply search out and seek counsel. Seek counsel from many. Proverbs 19.20 calls for us to listen to the counsel of wise people. Proverbs 11.14 says there's wisdom in many counselors. Talk to many people and there's wisdom. Proverbs 15.22 says that with many advisors, plans succeed. Proverbs 24, 6 says, In the abundance of counselors, there will be victory. Now, I just say this, that too often in life, we just seek to go our own way. Particularly, that's true of young men. Young men who are strong, and they think that they got the world by its tail, that they can do what they want to do. And they need to listen to advice. They think they can conquer the world. But rather than heeding the counsel of their parents or their teachers or faithful friends, young men will often go their own way and find themselves in trouble because they're foolish. They've not accepted the instruction of others. I've seen others 
neglect much instruction only to find themselves in tremendous trouble. It would have just, they would have been helped immensely had they just followed the counsel of some friends. And to one degree or another, all of us fall into this trap. We fail to seek the advice and counsel and wisdom of others. We do our own thing, and we fail to experience the best that, that we can have for this life. It might cost us money as we don't use whatever we need to use properly and we break something. It might cost us time. Menace, you fail to ask for directions. It'll just cost you time. You'll be late. Or you'll squander some time driving the highways looking for something. It might cost you joy. If you marry a spouse against the counsel of many who says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I, I know some have married contra counsel. And it, it, it costs joy. It might cost health. If you don't listen to the counsel of others and eat right and exercise. So I might call you Proverbs 19, 20, seek counsel. Be, be teachable, learnable, humble people. So you might be wise, you might avoid the troubles of life and be wise. But not only you listen to others, but also I exhort you to listen to God. As, as we think about Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. The foremost um, commandment and best known commandment of the Jewish people comes in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Hear, Israel. There it is. Listen, Israel. And it's, in fact, it's from that verse that, that that passage has a name. It's called the Shema. Shemer means to listen. Shema is the command. It says, listen. Shema Israel is how it reads in the, the Hebrew. The first and foremost commandment is, is listen. It's a, it's a call to not just listen and hear like it goes in your ears, but to listen and hear and heed. Instruction and counsel. And God's counsel is to love Him. It's to love Him with all your being. Listen to what He says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And Jesus, of course, calls that the greatest commandment. And notice how the, the greatest commandment comes. It comes through our ear. It comes through listening. It comes to hearing the counsel of the Lord and then following after the counsel of the Lord. And, and when it comes down to it, this is how we're, anybody's made right with God, is to hear what God says and then to follow and to heed that instruction. We know that it's those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who will be saved, right? God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a, it's a hearing and it is a believing and a trusting in Him. But, but the question comes, how does anyone come to believe? Remember Romans chapter 10 when Paul laid it out. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That is true, right? You, you call on God. You say, God, I need your help. But, Paul continues, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The idea is, salvation comes when someone calls upon the name of the Lord, but you can't call the name of the Lord unless you've believed in this Lord you're calling upon. And you can't believe in this Lord unless you have heard about Him. And you can't hear about Him unless someone speaks. You can't speak unless someone is sent. That's, that's Paul's logic. But notice how salvation comes through the ear gate. Um, John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great book talking about Pilgrim walking through this 
life from the city of destruction, the celestial city. He wrote another allegory. Um, what is it called? Man, I can't remember its name right now. But he's talking about the city of Mansoul. The Holy War is what it's called. And so there's this, this city of Mansoul which is trying to be protected. And it's got these gates. There's an eye gate. And there is an ear gate. And there's a feel gate. And that's through which Diabolos, the enemy, it's Greek word for the devil, attacks through these gates, through the eyes, and through the ears. And the ears need to listen rightly to God and what He is to say. And so fundamentally, when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, Proverbs 19.20 nails it. Listen to God's advice. Accept His instruction. In the end, you will be wise. You'll gain wisdom in the future. You want to have wisdom for eternity? Well, just listen to what God says and follow His ways. Do you remember the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus went up with Peter and, and John, James, up there and, and his, his deity came shining through his, his skin, his flesh, and his clothes. They began to see the, the amazing white and brilliance of who he was. And Moses and Elijah were there talking with Jesus about his departure, his exodus in Jerusalem. They're talking about his crucifixion on the cross, how he's going he's to exit this world through that. And they were there, and then this voice came down from heaven. Remember, this is my son, my chosen one. And then God says, listen to him. If you want to follow Proverbs 19.20, listening to God means listen to Jesus. Accept his counsel. Accept his instruction. So I just say this, how are you doing at listening to Jesus? To the extent that you listen to him, You'll live a wise life. You'll be wise for the future that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Do you believe the good news? Do you follow the good news? You know, many people will, will hear that, will profess belief, but, but the fruit of your life demonstrates whether you, you genuinely believe. In 1 John, I mentioned this in our prayer meeting this morning, by this we shall know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commandments. In other words, you will, you will know that you know Christ if you are following in His commandments. It's the fruit of believing. It's the fruit of hearing. It's the fruit of, of acting upon His Word. It's the fruit of belief. And the next verse says this, Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. In other words, if you aren't listening to the counsel of the Lord, if you aren't listening to His instruction, it's an indication you don't know Him. If you don't know Him, you're lost in your sin because you failed the counsel of 1920. You failed to listen to God. And so I just encourage you today, this little nugget, these 15 minutes, hear God, listen to His counsel, believe in Him, trust in Him, and you'll reap His benefits forever. Amen. Andy, why don't we come and sing a song and then invite Phil on up. Well, good morning, Wise Church family. Uh, Steve really caught my attention this morning. He was, he was preaching at me because I told him a story um, some time ago about uh, when I first got started in business. Several times. I still, yeah, I, I forget, you know, so I have to tell the story over and over again to make sure he remembers. And, you know, when you first start out in business, you don't get many paychecks, and so... What I'd do is I'd have a tendency to take my checks and put them in the side, on the side and not pay the bills, contrary to my wife's counsel to me. 
And uh, one day I was um, taking a shower, got myself all lathered up with soap, put soap on my head, you know, and, you know, reach for the, the nozzle here to get that water, you know, go off, rinse, the, rinse my head off of the soap, and all of a sudden, guess what? No water. And the city water department had come by and turned off my water right at the most inopportune time because I did not pay the bill. So that was a rebuke to me, and I appreciate that. So before I get started my part, um, I want to make an announcement. <clears throat> a few weeks back, of course, we made the announcement that Garth Breckenridge uh, has uh, submitted his name to become a deacon at our church, and that was a real blessing and a joy to hear. And so we took him through what I call the shunning process, examination, where he came before the elders and uh, presented his qualifications. And then, of course, we did the presentation to you at that time. Well, next week, we'll do the installation. So if there is anybody who has a concern about Garth, and I have not heard any of I've, I've heard nothing but good things about Garth. And so um, Garth, I checked with him, Steve. He's OK. Checked, Steve said, make sure you check with, with Garth. Make sure he still wants to be a deacon. I said, OK, so I did. And Garth, where are you at? There you are. That's Garth. Raise your hand, Garth, so everybody knows who you are. Would you like to preach? No. <laughs> yeah, he said his, his uh, preaching would be, uh, let's close in prayer. So anyhow, but we're going to have Garth up here. We'll, we'll pray for him next week and anoint him uh, and, uh, and charge him. So uh, you be in prayer for Garth as he takes that office. All right. <clears throat> well... I want to start out with a story this morning. You know, the 1950s and the 1960s time frame uh, were known as the happy days. You've seen those, that, that show, the happy days. You know, it was peacetime in this country. Prosperity was on the rise. Families were getting together. People were going to church. It was a great time. And so uh, it was a great time, except for a place in Chicago, Illinois, during the hot summer of the early 1960s. And uh, in a particular neighborhood, it was not such a happy time because the younger kids in the neighborhood were being singled out and bullied by a gang of, gang of tough older kids. The younger ones couldn't go to the park and play baseball because these bullies would steal their bicycles and take their balls and bats and chase them off. And the kids uh, set up a Kool-Aid stand and the tough guys came by and knocked down the Kool-Aid stand and stole all their money that they had made. One kid, uh, on, on one occasion, one kid was accosted by two bullies, and as the two bullies held this one kid, <clears throat> another kid took and smacked him around, punched him, and con continually flipped him to the ground. Well, he finally got away, but as he got away, he vowed that he would get even. He would get even. He'd make sure those bullies paid. Well, later, this young boy and his buddies got together, and they decided that they were going to teach the bullies a lesson, a lesson they'd never forget. So what they did is they went bully hunting, and they cornered two bullies behind a church. Now, there's six boys, six young boys that are going to whip these two bullies. They cornered these two bullies behind the church, and just as they, the fight was starting, a man appeared around a corner and saw what these boys were doing to these two other boys. And he yells out, what are you boys doing? Break it up. Phil Gusky, you know better than that. 
I was one of those young kids that was picked on. I tried to explain. I was embarrassed in humility. I tried to explain to this man who was my pastor. I just formed a gang of guys to protect us from the bullies. Well, this pastor wouldn't buy it. He was... He shamed us. He, started, he preached to us on the spot. He really did. He preached to us a sermon about how Jesus said, love your enemies. Well, at the end of our little sermon, we all shook hands and tried to forget that the whole thing happened. But you know, the name of my sermon today, or the, the title of my sermon is Avoid Bad Company. And I could ask you to, um, to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verses eight, 14 through 18. And uh, I need five verses to cover my proverb. Steve can do it in one, but i got to do it in five. And let me read it to you here. It says, this is Proverbs 4, 14 through 18. It says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made Someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Now listen to this, verse 18. It says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You know, God's instructions to us are easy to understand, unless you're preaching out of Leviticus. No, not really. (laughs) Leviticus was... Easy to understand if you have a professional trying to explain it to you. But these particular instructions and Proverbs are pretty easy to understand. And so what I want to do to prove my point is, and I'm going to ask you to participate in my sermon today. I'm going to ask you to respond a little bit. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to give some application. So I'll be calling on you. So nobody sleeps here today, right? There's a little different, Steve. You've never asked anybody to help give you application at the end. So what I want to do is I want to go down here and I want to talk to some of the kids and ask if anybody would be willing to tell us what God is trying to tell us in these first four verses. And this is a warning. There's two parts of my sermon. One is a warning. The other is a reward. With these people, don't act out. Don't try to emulate them. You know, now kids want to be accepted. I wanted to be accepted. That's why I did those things with those other kids when I was little. I wanted to be accepted by my friends. But kids are looking for relationships. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for acceptance. And they'll try to find it anywhere. We see that in the news today, don't we? You've seen these kids that are joining ISIS because they, they found something that they can identify with. See, they want to be somebody special. But you know what? So are adults. How many of you remember the television show Cheers? Did you ever see that? I watched it a couple of times and I thought, what a bunch of losers. Gosh, these people sitting around a bar and they're kind of commiserating with themselves. And, but, you know, what was the theme song about? That's right. Maggie says, we could go where everybody knows your name. Everybody knows your name. They want to become part of something. They want to go ahead and join a group. Well... Why does God warn us about not associating with bad company, bad people? Well, because they're consumed with evil and they commit violence. In the news here this week, we have learned about a fellow down in Mexico that escaped from a prison. His name was El Chapo. What does that mean, El Chapo? Where's Adriana? 
It's a, it's a term, it means shorty, okay? But shorty is a, a notorious drug lord down in Mexico, and he's responsible for the murder, either directly or indirectly, of 50,000 people in Mexico. 50,000 people. I think twice about going down to Mexico for our vacations, knowing that, you know? But let's talk about some of the consequences of bad company influence. Some of the consequences. And we see it in our society today. I read a blog yesterday, or a, or a, um, a piece that Tom Harkis put on the internet, about why our country is experiencing such distress and why we're getting such bad, um, so, so many bad decisions from the Supreme Court, especially in the last year. And he said this, he says, if you look at the Constitution, our Constitution was really set up not necessarily by Christians, but by people that were moral and people that were religious. They had an orientation toward good, not evil. And so this country has run experiments in the past where they have taken our Constitution and sent that Constitution over to other countries in Africa and Asia and some of the uh, Soviet bloc countries to follow our lead. And ultimately it failed because those particular people don't have a moral or a religious orientation. And so what Tom Harkis in that particular article proved was, or pointed out, was the fact that we're having such bad decisions from our Supreme Court and bad uh, law is because those people don't have any morals or religious orientation anymore. Now they have some kind of beliefs, but they have no absolutes. They don't know what is the difference between right and wrong. And so we suffer. And these decisions endanger us, endanger our freedoms. And what's right is wrong, and what's wrong is right. So we see that in our society. In my world, the world of financials, you know, there's a couple of examples here that I want to give you that <clears throat> well, I've experienced firsthand. You know, when I got into the financial services business, you know, nobody was compelling me to sell drugs or to join a gang or to uh, hold up a gas station or anything like that. No, these, these crimes that they were recommending were more sophisticated in nature. They were trying to entice me to do things that were risky and were jeopardizing and were speculating with my client's money. And you know what the incentive was to me? They'd pay me big money to do it. In fact, um, well, I won't go into that part of it right quite yet, but, but here's the other part of this, is that I don't want to necessarily hold the financial service companies, and when you say bad company, there are bad companies out there, okay? So don't associate with bad companies. But one of the things I want to make, make sure I'm clear about is the fact that it's not necessarily bad companies that cause the problem. How many of you here would like to have high returns in your investments with no risk and pay no taxes. Can I see a show of hands? <laughs> yeah, that sounds pretty good. But you live in a fantasy world, okay? Part of the difficulty with this is that we're embracing the bad company of the media because the media makes us believe that that's possible to do and I'm here to tell you it's not possible to do. And if you subscribe to somebody who does, you will be scammed. Let me give you a personal example. I had a friend of mine that I recruited in the business about 30 years ago, and we parted company many, many years ago, and he came to me and he said, Phil, my attorneys and my CPAs have come up with a plan, and this plan will guarantee 
that your clients will never have to pay taxes again if they put into this particular plan. That sounds pretty good, SR, right? No taxes? Wow, I saw all those hands go up, no taxes. And uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, the Constitution makes it really, it's really unconstitutional to pay taxes anyhow, and these guys have figured this thing out. I go, boy, they're pretty smart guys. I said, but something doesn't sound right about that, you know? And I told him, I said, no, count me out on that, Brian, because you know what, you might be right, but you'll probably spend a lot of time behind prison walls proving that you're right. And guess what happened? He, his attorney friends, and his CPAs all went to prison. He's serving 17 years in federal penitentiary right now because he tried to promote a concept, an idea that embraced bad company. Thirdly, scripture. We see many examples in scripture of examples of bad company. Now, all you have to do is take a look at the Pharisees and how they plotted the death of Jesus, how the mob was inspired by the Pharisees to desire Barabbas over Jesus. Barabbas, a criminal, over Jesus, their Messiah. Or how about the stoning of Stephen? Stephen went up there and all he did was tell them their history of how they killed all the prophets and they killed their own Messiah. They didn't want to hear the truth. And they stoned Stephen. And then there's the example of Paul. And Paul, of course, was stoned and left for dead after thrown out of the city of Lystra or Lystra. We see plenty of examples where bad company results in evil outcome. Well, now we come to the positive part of it, the reward. First, I talked about warning. Be careful not to get caught up with bad company. Now we talk about reward. And one of the things we find out is when God gives us instructions and commands about things, he also gives us two things, warnings, but he also gives us promise. Warnings and promise, they go hand in hand. So if we look at verse 18, it says this, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. And I thought to myself, you know, Steve said, well, make sure, Phil, that when you preach that you include the gospel. And I, I looked and I looked and I couldn't quite find it until I found it in verse 18. And it says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. And I thought about that pastor, Bill Kermot, that stopped me. A righteous man. This man was on the path of righteousness. He was on a lit path. And because of his influence in our lives, he was able to lead my family to the Lord. He was righteous, and he was on the path of light. And so he challenged us as young people that we should dare to be like Daniel. Don't hang out with your friends. Don't join bad company. He always insisted that we be careful about who we are being influenced by. And because of his influence, he was blessed by God, and he blessed us as well. And of course, the greatest example is of light is Jesus himself. In John 8, 12, Jesus says this. He says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of life. 
course, 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus is our example of light. He is the light. But not only is he the light, he tells us we are the light also, which is very interesting. We are the light, as mentioned in Matthew 5, 14, where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are the light of the world. But unfortunately, today, our light is not beaming as brightly as it once did. If you look at this nation today, we see that our light is, in fact, being hid under a bushel basket. Of all the different churches and the Christians and people that claim to be evangelicals today, there's a struggle going on in this country of good against evil, right against wrong. And my question is, where is the church? Where are we in protest against the evil today? So I want to end up my part here by challenging you. I want you to think about these five verses. And I want to ask you this question. I want you to help me close out my, my mini-sermon here with application, okay? And the question is this, how do we avoid evil influence and gain the favor of God's protection and safety? How do we avoid evil influence and gain the favor of God's protection and safety? How do we avoid bad company? How do we avoid bad company? Can I see a show of hands? Who would like to volunteer to tell us one thing? Let's get a couple of different examples. What would you do, what would you say in order to avoid bad company? Well, for our third message this morning, our, our mini-message, I invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 18 and verse 21. Uh, again, this was one of those verses that we looked at at Vacation Bible School, and I thought that if it's good enough for the children, it is certainly good enough for us. But also, I believe that many of the verses that were chosen by the curriculum are like, like key central verses just for understanding wisdom, the, the song we just sang, Be Thou My Wisdom and Lie My True Word, or whatever, just that God would be our wisdom, and Proverbs 18.21 is right there. It contains so much wisdom, and, and I want to address this verse just like I addressed the other one, first on like a, a human level, and then, then to think about it at a divine level, because there's lots that's true on a, the human level, and there's Lots that's true even on a, a divine level. If you're looking for a, a title for this little mini-message, it's this. Give life. Give life. Give life with your words. Proverbs, 19, Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. So I want to read it a couple more times, just kind of, kind of put it in your mind. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Um, first, the human perspective, just kind of on a, on a human level as we deal with people day in, day out. Uh, our, our tongue has, has power. 
Um, our, our tongue is but a small muscle in our body, but a few ounces, sits hidden most of the time back in your, your mouth. But this little muscle holds more power than the strongest weightlifter on the planet. See, it's not your tongue can lift more weights than the Olympic weightlifter, but your tongue can do more damage than the strongest of men. James speaks about the power of the tongue. He compares it to a small fire that can set ablaze an entire forest. James says that our tongue is full of deadly poison. we got poison in our mouth that's just waiting to be spit out upon people. It's the death side. And if you know anything about life, you know of the damage that the tongue can do. It can rip people to shreds. The American proverb, I don't know who wrote it, right? Sticks and stones, help me. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. It's not, it's not true. Words hurt, and they hurt deep. And in fact, even here in Proverbs 18.21, words are described as that which give death. Proverbs 12.18 speaks about the one who's rash with his words. It's like sword thrusts. You're rash with your words. Just a, the sword that would pierce deep into you, injure you. And ultimately then this proverb speaks about the death that, that comes. Well, I didn't know this, but today is the day of, of referring back to 1980s television shows. Phil referred to Happy Days, he referred to Tears. I'm going to refer to another one, it's just the Brady Bunch. And um, I have been using the Brady Bunch as a discipleship tool for my little guys, my two little ones. And so kind of each evening as we have time, if we do have time, what do we sing, Stephanie? Go ahead, sing it loud. Yeah. David, can you sing it loud? He just goes, da-da-da-da-da, from the, the song, The Brady Bunch. We all know it together, sing it, The Brady Bunch. That's the way we became the Brady Bunch. Okay. And, and so what, we, what we've done is a total, total secular show, um, but it has, it is enjoyable, first of all. Our kids are like sucked into the life of these, these kids. Um, and, but, it, but it provides great teaching opportunities. And, and, it, and one of the things I really appreciate is that on every show, there's a problem. And, and they identify the problem, and then Mr. Brady particularly is very active to have family meetings or to address the problem some way. You can't have a kid going up the stairs crying or sullen or something without mom and dad quickly following after the child and being able to talk, and it just shows a, a parent's wisdom trying to get into the life of their kids. And, and oftentimes, we've watched these episodes, we've just stopped and said, hey kids, what do you think is going to happen, or, or what about this, or what can you learn from this? It's, been a, it's really been kind of a fun thing. It didn't start out as a discipleship opportunity, it more started out as fun. I wanted to culture them in the Brady Bunch, but, but that's really what it's turned into. And I've told Yvonne about all the lessons that we're learning, and it's, it's kind, of, kind of incredible. It's very, I want to teach my kids to be wise about life, and it's, it's very fun. Well, in one of these episodes, there was a bully, and his name was Buddy Hinton. And uh, Buddy Hinton, this bully, he stood against a tree, and a Cindy, who struggled with a lisp, 
okay, as she walked home from school, he'd stand by the tree, kind of picking on this little kid, and he'd bully her, and, and Buddy would say, baby talk, baby talk, it's a wonder you can walk. And that pierced Cindy deep. In fact, it crushed her. She came home crying because of her lisp. In fact, it made Peter then stand up for his little sister in a very admirable way, who eventually engaged Buddy Hinton in a few fights. And as the story goes, Peter knocks Buddy Hinton, and then Buddy Hinton loses a tooth, and so he starts lisping as well. And so it kind of returns upon him. But it, but it speaks of the power and the destructive power of the tongue. Some have grown up in homes where the destructive power of, of parents and the tongue has been there. Parents are nagging their children. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Constantly telling them that they weren't good enough. I know a man whose father never, never, ever gave him any approval. And it affects him still to today. Those about my age. Parents call their children's names. Oh, you're good for nothing. Parents fill their home with oppressive rules and regulations that they're just like it's it's a war between children and parents. They they shame their children whenever they mess up in any way. Tell them how worthless they are, and such homes are abusive in every sense of the word. It's the invisible scar that never goes away, and don't underestimate just the, the effects that it will have on people's life. Now it doesn't excuse any anything that comes out of that, but it does say that that abusive homes are difficult on, on kids. It, and that abuse comes not because parents have struck their kids or tortured their kids or hurt their kids in any physical way. It's all been emotional mind games. And it is very true. It's what Proverbs 18.21 is talking about on the, the horizontal human level, that death is in the power of the tongue. And like Buddy Hinton, those who love death-giving words will eat of its fruits. It's interesting that many times it's those who have been hurt will hurt others. Hurt people hurt people. And, and many times those who are on the, the hurt often will end up life being lonely or, or depressed or just face a difficult life. You, you show me someone who's always sour in their words and stuff, and I'll show you someone who's going to die alone. You show me someone who's joyful and happy and encouraging, and I'll show you someone who will probably die with many friends around them. Death is in the power of the tongue. But that's not all the Proverbs says. That's just, that's just one side of it. See, there's another side. There's a life side. See, death and life are in the power of the tongue. You can, you can give life to others <clears throat> with your tongue. You can save life with your tongue. I mean, c- consider the example. You're, you're out hiking the... The Pacific Crest Trail, like Eric has been hiking. I just, just found that out. And, uh, you know, you got some, some pretty big ridges. You've been walking along. And, and suppose you're walking along, you're not paying attention. Your friend sees you're about to jump, to walk over a cliff or a danger. Stop! And you stop. And with your tongue, you can save life. The tongue of the wise, Proverbs twelve eighteen gives healing. So as the wise man speaks with his tongue, it's like a... It's like a medicine balm that comes over your body that just is helpful and healing. And as words tear you down, words can build you up. Okay, so let's, let's think about Brady Bunch again. This is, a great, this is what we learned like a couple days ago. Um, Peter was down on himself 
because a guy at a party that I went to told Peter that he was dull and he had no personality at all. And in fact, so hurtful were those words that, that it got into the psyche of Peter that he began moping around, thinking that he was dull. I'm so dull. I'm so dull. And he, he wasn't involved in family activities. He wasn't engaged. It's all because what someone said to him at a party. And so the, the sisters got together, and um, they decided to try to help Peter. Listen, and I quote right from the show. Marsha says this to Cindy and Jan. She says, maybe there's a way we can help Peter. If one person can say something to make someone feel bad, then maybe another person can say something to make him feel good. That's what Proverbs 18, 21 is talking about on the, the human level. To build people up. So Marsha brought a friend, and this friend, like, feigned interest in Peter and like what he was saying. And uh, so I remember he's telling something about some potato war movie. He got like totally like, what? And Peter was really excited about it. And his friend was like, oh, until it was found out that she was like, like kidding and false flattery, which fell flat on its face was, was no good. But it was helping. The, the words were helping to build Peter up. And, and the point is, it's a secular world realizes the power of the tongue to, to build up others. And I would encourage you all to realize the power that you can to build up others with your words. And you will, as the second half says, those who love it will eat of its fruits. And you, you build others up, and you'll find others around you building each other up. It's kind of a mutual, I build you up, and you'll build him up, you'll build him up, you'll be holding up. Think about um, Proverbs 31. Isn't that what the husband is doing? Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all building his wife up. And it's good and it's profitable. It's biblical to build up in a, in a, a right and, and proper way. Sam Crabtree wrote this excellent book. It's called Practicing Affirmation. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very helpful book. And he talks about what, what building up talk is like. And he says this. He says, good affirmation is God-centered pointing to the image of God in a person. The only commendable attributes in a person were given to them, and affirmation should not be self-esteem free for all. Don't affirm any old thing. And this is the, the fault of Marcia with her friend, just affirming Peter in any old thing. That's not what, what Crabtree is advocating. He says, don't stroke the ego. Don't affirm empty trendiness, but commend the commendable. Value the valuable. Supremely value the supremely valuable. Worship Christ and then commend his image in people. One of the examples he uses is um, Hebrews 11. And think about the people in Hebrews 11. Whether it's Abel or whether it's Moses or Enoch or Abraham or Jacob or Joseph. I mean, they're all commended for their faith. In other words, they're, they're commended for the right things. They are lifted high because of their faith. And I would encourage you to, to see where God works in people's lives and identify that and so encourage them in that. You know, you're commanded to do that. Proverbs, Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. No corrupting talk. Now, if you look for an application, I just say this. Go to your homes today and just listen through the grid of corrupting talk and just see if there's any corrupting talk that takes place in your family. That's any complaining, 
any sour mood, anything that just leads down, that tears. And where it is, just to realize that God calls us to no corrupting talk, because that, that's talk that leads to death. I mean, isn't that the idea of, of corrupting? I mean, the, the Greek word there comes from the idea of a, a fruit that's shriveling up and sour, and it's got mold on it, mucking up. It's leading just to death. But on the other hand, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such a word as is good for building up. So the only words that ought to come from our mouth are those that are building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, this doesn't condemn us only to Pollyanna-ish talk, okay? Jesus is the model of that, and he preached pretty hard sometimes, smashed the Pharisees. But it was the aim to, to build up, pointing out the sin, to, the, to build up. But, but as we do this, look at the promise. As it fits the occasion, whenever there's an opportunity, right, identify God's work in people's life, encourage them. And that encourage their goodness, encourage their virtue, encourage their faith. And as you see that, it says this, that it may give grace to those who hear. You can give and dispense grace to those who hear. You can either dispense grace or you can thrust with swords to people with your words. I love the way that Sam Crabtree even speaks about how you can just affirm on a total secular level and it can gain you um, access in a hearing. I mean, many of us might use this also just in terms of winsomeness with the gospel. Right? Just, just, just be pro-people and people then will be more listening to you rather than just being negative and harping all the time. Be, be pro-people. It will help. And so Crabtree, was before he was an executive for executive pastor, I think, at Bethlehem Baptist Church, he said, he was a, a classroom teacher. He said, I saw the rebellion-breaking power of affirmation as a public school teacher. One of the students that I had was Wayne. It's not his real name. He was particularly problematic. He would damage the school property, carving up the furniture. If you sat ahead of him, he might write on your clothes. He might cut your hair or your clothing. Just a real problem kid in his classroom. He said, Wayne was in affirmation deprivation. He was a, grew up in a single-family home with no male role model at home and was reaping the fruit of that. And he said he was a poor student. He didn't receive any academic accolades. He wasn't athletic or musical. He came from a broken home and was socially not easy for his peers to be around. He wasn't receiving praise anywhere for anything. In my classroom, I positioned his desk closest to my own so I could more readily keep an eye on him. And Wayne was in my class, and I was his teacher, and I wanted him to listen to me, to hear me, so I prayed, Lord, what can I affirm in order to gain a hearing? Is there some small approximation of a God-honoring trade upon which I can capitalize for Wayne's refreshment for the good of the class? You know, there might be people in your life, maybe people at work or people in your neighborhood, you might just pray, God, how, how can I gain a hearing? How can I help? How can I be with the people around me? So that's what Crabtree's praying. And then one day, I had an assignment had assigned some work to the students, and I was circulating through the classroom to help those request assistance. And out of the corner of my eye, which is almost always on Wayne, I noticed that he wasn't doing his work, but he wasn't killing anybody either. He was daydreaming, gazing out the window with his chin in his hand. He said, I'll take it, I thought. He said, so I maneuvered behind Wayne, laid my hand on his shoulder, and his head immediately jerked around, and he leaned slightly away from me as to say, what did I do now? I said, Wayne, I can tell you're deep in thought. I like that about a guy. I like a man who's a thinker. 
And I can still see the look on his face at once, bewildered and yet savoring it like no pleasure he could ever remember experiencing. His face said, ah, so that's what a compliment feels like. And with that, I pat him on the back and resume my rounds, still keeping an eye on him. He had been affirmed for doing something that God does, think. God himself invites us to reason together. Wayne still wasn't doing his assigned work, but at least he was moving in my direction. His eyes were following me around the room, and whenever he saw that I was about to turn his direction, he would quickly snap it in the chin and the hand. Posture of the thinker. Affirmation tastes so good, he was lining up for seconds. What was happening? His hatred for teachers was being undercut because he was affirmed by one. Affirmation has power to gain a hearing for the affirmer, even if the ears of the outright rebellious. Perhaps that hearing is one form of the mercy that comes from God toward the one who's doing the refreshing. Now, following our breakthrough, did Wayne immediately take off in his academics and become valedictorian? No. And that wasn't in my immediate aim. And on the way to getting him to cooperate and doing his studies, I aimed at getting him to cooperate at all, just to listen to me. We can affirm progress, even when it still falls short of mastery. Sometimes we thank God for increments. I had Wayne as a student for only one year, and affirmation helped us move in our relationship in the right direction. See what he's doing? He's given life with his tongue on a purely secular level and gaining a hearing so as to help. He gives also an illustration here about his daughter, how his daughter, he was losing his daughter, and how he gained her through affirmation. She had a messy, messy room, and um, he basically said, I, I, he said, huh, I like the way you organize your shelves. Something like, if I can see it, then it's there, and it's not moving. And so I kind of just commended her. He, he said it in a more funny way than I, than I said it, but it's kind of like, uh, like you, you got everything out so you can see everything. That's good. That's good. I, I like that. And, and kind of over the process of time, just affirming her in whatever way he could, he won her, he won her back and uh, just talks about the the need for affirmation so as to win people, so as to give people life. Well, that's a, a secular example. Let, let's think on the divine level. Because when God speaks, there's life and death in His words as well. In the opening chapters of Genesis, God speaks and life comes. In the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth with His speech, and He said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth and across the expanse of the heavens. It was so. He spoke and animals came into existence. He spoke, and mankind gave into existence. God can also speak death. In the closing chapter of Revelation, we hear Jesus the judge. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of death that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Jesus' words are either life-giving or death-giving at the judgment. But his words to us now are, are much life-giving because between the, the creation of the world and before the final condemnation of the wicked and the glorification of the righteous, there's a life-giving message that he is speaking, but it's interesting is he is speaking that through us. And we have the opportunity of giving a life-giving message to others that will help them eat its fruits. I mentioned my first message about how high school celebrated 30th year reunion. So last night, we, uh, we gathered in DeKalb, um, a place called Molly's, I think. No, O'Leary's. And, and, and we rented like the top floor of this building, and there was loud music there, and lots of food to eat, and lots of beer that a lot of people drank. And, um, but it was basically four hours of me just sharing the gospel with, with Pete, my high school fr- roommate, my high school friends. 
They know I'm here in Rockford, and often the conversation goes, Steve, you're in Rockford, right? Some said, how are things going at your church? Some said, uh, now, are you a, like a minister, or are you a pastor? What, like, what are you? Or, what, what, I, I was asked what kind of church we are. I was asked uh, to tell about your church. And um, as, as I spoke, one thing I realized, how much I love Rock Valley Bible Church, how much I love you all. I just find myself just talking about what God has done here from nothing 15 years ago to what is here today, and just realizing how much I'm enjoying just learning from the Scriptures, sharing it with you, investing you with opportunities to, to learn and grow, and how much I'm enjoying pastoring this church, how much joy you've given me. I've really, really come to appreciate that. Um, but oftentimes, as I, as I spoke with them, I, I, I spoke with, with one person, like all the way through Leviticus, how, yeah, people at Rock Valley Bible Church endure Leviticus. You know what Leviticus is about? The guy says, no. I said, well, it's about the Old Testament law and about how, how God gave that to Israel and how we need to understand like, the original uh, intention of that. And, and I think it was his daughter who came along, and she was like, yeah, that has nothing to apply to us today. I said, exactly right. And I, I showed out points to Christ, the sacrifice, and the priests, and, and the cleanliness, and the Day of Atonement, like once for all, just with Christ. And there he is. And, and he was sort of interested. One man I spoke with um, was a total skeptic. He said, I don't think there's a God. And I said, God has been so good to you to, to put you in America where you, you have this friend who's been inviting you to church and you haven't gone and, and you got so many opportunities. But he was all worried about the people way over there. And I said, don't worry about the people way over there, worry about you. And he said, well, what about the evil in the world? I said, have you ever heard of Job? He said, I haven't heard of Job. I said, well, let me tell you about Job. And so I got to speak about Job and just said, he's one, the Lord gives, he takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's, that's the the question. We don't know exactly why all the evil takes place, but we still will praise God. I, I talked with another man who was on the border between his wife was Lutheran, and, but he was staunch Catholic for a long time, but he's kind of coming over. I said, you know what? I just preached some sermons on the, the Reformation, and maybe those would be helpful. I gave out my book to several people. I just prayed. I said, God, lead me to just a handful of people you might want me to give this book to. And so I, I gave this book and received a promise from all uh, three of the four told me I will read your book. So just and 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 several of these are non-believers, are kind of skeptics and thinking about this, and they'll they'll read and listen and and um, but but in all, my time with them was just life-giving words, life-giving words. Now I spoke with some. I remember one guy. I I, I said, yeah, I'm a, he didn't know I'm pastoring a church. Oh, he, whoop, he turned right away from me and went to someone else. Um, he wasn't interested. That's okay. But, but we all have life-giving words, eternal life-giving words that can come out of our mouths. Realize that death and life is in the power of the tongue. And as you speak that life-giving word, you can give life to someone eternally. So I just encourage you to, to use your tongue not to speak death words, but to speak life words. To speak encouraging words here on the human level, but speak divine words and be speaking the gospel to people that people might have hoped that forever they would enjoy the Lord in heaven with you. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd give us wisdom here in Proverbs to know you and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. God, may, may we be a wise congregation, realizing that all our wisdom is found in Jesus. So God, help us in these things. We, we are weak and feeble. God, we are unbelieving. God, help our unbelief. God, we believe and help our unbelief. God, we struggle with sin, 
that so easily entangles us, God, but help us to run with endurance the race that's set before us. God, from all these lessons today, God, I, I pray that, that you would be our help, God, and that, that you would be our grace, that we would listen to advice, accept instruction, that we would hang with the right crowd and hear that we would speak the right words. God, make us a wise people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.